BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. At my direction, the United States successfully concluded an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan, that killed the Emir of Al Qaeda, Iman al Zawiri. You know, Zawiri was uh, Bin Laden's leader. He was with him all the, the whole time. He was his number two man, his deputy at the time the terrorist attack 9/11. Thank God. He was deeply involved. Thank in- God. Thank you, Mr. President. And good riddance to Ayman al-Zwahiri. I will say this, and this is a bit of uh, chest thumping at the outset of the program, but I think I'm entitled to it. I I, I am like uh, the Breaking Bad character. You know, say my name, Heisenberg. I never stopped saying his name. It has always galled me. And, and we'll have conversation about just how instrumental... Iman al-Zawahiri was relative to September 11. Peter Bergen, the CNN national security analyst, the guy who interviewed bin Laden and the only Western journalist who toured Abbottabad before the Pakistanis uh, tore it down, meaning Bergen got in there when there was still literally brain material from bin Laden on the ceiling. He's going to be here momentarily. And I know that he believes that Ayman al-Zwahiri's role has been overblown, that he wasn't as instrumental on September 11. But as someone who, like many of you, you know, lived through the last 21 years, they were a tag team. They were running mates. They presented themselves in all those videos as bin Laden and Zawahiri. And bin Laden has been gone for a decade now. He got to live too long after September 11. And Zawahiri got another 10 years after him. But it has always galled me that you never hear conversation or never heard conversation about him. And uh, maybe I was wrong to therefore equate that with our having given up the hunt, although he was kind of living openly in Kabul, and we'll, we'll get to that as the survey question today. But I'll tell you uh, two quick funny stories just about how much I've had Zawahiri on the brain. Last Wednesday, I had this privilege of speaking to 14 through 18-year-olds, and we recorded it and put out a video, and it's, it's, it's fun just to watch these bright young minds who are interested in civic matters and politics, and their summer camp called Etgar 36 is to spend weeks on a bus. 
and just go meet people who are politically involved and see historic locations. Think Dealey Plaza. Think National Constitution Center. Think Oklahoma City, the site of the bombing, and learn about the country. So in the Q&A, I, I'm not sure how it came up. I think I was explaining in the Q&A to these kids, uh, these teenagers, um, my break with the Republican Party and why. I had left the GOP after being a loyal Republican foot soldier and running for office, serving in the Bush 41 administration. And I was in the course of explaining to them last Wednesday that it was the lack of hunt for bin Laden and Zawahiri five years after September 11 that were a turning point for me when Obama was now saying, I'm going to go renew the hunt for bin Laden. And if I find him in Pakistan, I'm still going to kill him, which is what what Barack Obama said to me on radio. So here's how it came up last Wednesday, you know, outside 90 degree day, me talking to kids. If I were to ask you who is Ayman al-Zwahiri, <laughs> I'll bet none of you could answer that question. And yet at the time of September 11, we didn't speak of bin Laden. We spoke of bin Laden and Zawahiri, bin Laden and Zawahiri. Truck is coming. All right, you get it. You this get is it. important, so I'm going to catch my breath for a second. TC, uh, these these kids were looking at me like, who who's he talking about? But today they're all like, wow. No, the best thing is so we got an email from Billy Planer, who's the head of Edgar 36. He's the the leader of the bus, and he said that when the news broke. He, in the course of two minutes, got 25 emails, meaning one from all the kids, 25 texts, saying, isn't that who Michael Smirconish was talking about? So way to, way to go, Michael. They were listening, now, and you made an impact. Now they're subscribing to the newsletter. I think they were now before. Now they're subscribing to the newsletter. <laughs> one other just uh, curiosity and an interesting story that I've shared in differing levels of detail, but now I want to tell you something else. I had one meeting with President Trump while he was president. It was September 9, 2019, okay, year before the presidential election in the Oval Office. The only other person present was Stephanie Grisham, the then White House, either press secretary or head of communications. So note the date. We are two years, pardon me, two days away from the 18th anniversary of September 11. Uh, Three things I remember discussing, actually more than three, but you'll, you'll find interesting, perhaps. Antonio Brown had just joined the Patriots. Yes, I had a conversation with the president about the Pats because he had just gotten off the phone with both Brady and with Robert Kraft, or so he told me. Now I'm telling tales out of school because I this was all off the record. Here's a second subject that I discussed with President Trump in the Oval Office on September 9. Boxing in Atlantic City. The Tyson-Trump era. Won't bore you with the details now, but that was very amusing. Third subject, I said to him, Mr. President, we are two days away from the September 11, 18th anniversary. Why don't you deliver remarks about Ayman al-Zwahiri and go out and renew the hunt for the number two because nobody ever talks about him? The president didn't say anything of substance to me in response and didn't mention Zawahiri two days later. He should have. Mistake on his part. So I've always had this guy on the brain, and I am just so thrilled, and I must say, as happy, I know that sounds twisted to say you're happy about someone's death. I can't think of anybody else whose death I'd be happy about. Um, but as happy as I am 
to or was to have heard that news. There is a troubling component to this. I mean, there you know, it's it, it's a great poll question for the day. The fact that we killed him in Kabul, does that vindicate or vilify the president's withdrawal from Afghanistan? Because on one hand, and I heard Juliet Kayyem say these words on CNN very early this morning, that it, it seems to validate the president's belief that we can launch an over-the-horizon strike and take out with a drone, by the way, and not take down the building and not even kill his family. Like, wow, we can do that. Kind of scary, though, if they can ever do that to us. But does it validate the president insofar as it was a successful over-the-horizon military campaign or or, uh, um, military strike, I should say? Or does it vilify the president's withdrawal because... He was being uh, housed by the Haqqani network, right? Sort of an arm or partner of both the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. So does it mean, hey, this is what happens if American boots on the ground? I mean, Kabul, of all places. This is this is the equivalent of him living almost openly in New York City. So what does it really say about United States policy in Afghanistan? That's the poll question of the day. Go to Smirconish.com and cast your ballot. I'm not going to open the telephone lines yet, but I will as soon as we hear from Peter Bergen, because Peter is the man when it comes to these matters. So I'm back right after this. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Okay, this is the person I most want to speak to today. And I I will give his uh, credentials an extended read, and then you'll understand why. Peter Bergen is a lot of things. He is CNN's national security analyst. He's vice president at New America. He's a professor 
of practice at Arizona State University. His latest is a paperback, The Cost of Chaos, The Trump Administration and the World. His previous titles, the following, Manhunt, The 10-Year Search for Bin Laden from 9-11 to Abbottabad. I would add parenthetically, that is the definitive account of how we killed bin Laden. He's also the author of The Longest War, The Enduring Conflict Between America and Al-Qaeda, The Rise and Fall of Osama Bin Laden, and United States of Jihad Investigating America's Homegrown Terrorists. You might recall from his prior appearances on my program that Peter Bergen once interviewed Osama Bin Laden. Peter Bergen also, I think, was the only Western journalist to tour the Abbottabad compound when Bin Laden's blood was literally still on the walls. That is, before it was taken down by the Pakistanis. This is Peter Bergen. Peter, thank you so much for coming back to the program, especially today. Hey, I'll bet you'd want to see that house in Kabul where Ayman al-Zwahiri was killed by a drone. <laughs> Indeed. Um, you know, according to senior U.S. government officials, uh, you know, Zawahiri was on, at this house. He never left it. It was sort of a safe house that his wife and kids and grandkids were living in. Um, they, uh, he uh, was, you know, killed on the third floor of that house uh, on the balcony, uh, not dissimilar to the killing of bin Laden in Abbottabad, where, of course, there was a U.S. Navy SEAL operation as opposed to a, a drone strike with Hellfire missiles. But I think, Michael, an important point is there's been quite a lot of misinformation about who Zawahiri is, and I'd like to kind of try and clear Please. that up to your listeners. So, you know, President Biden, you know, clearly you know, made a good decision, and Zawahiri is the leader of al-Qaeda. But a number of things that President Biden said uh, last night just simply aren't true. One, that, he, that Zawahiri was deeply involved in the planning of 9-11. Two, that he was involved in the planning of the USS Cole, which killed 17 American sailors in 2000. Three, that he was deeply involved in the planning of the U.S. embassy attacks in 1998 in Africa that killed more than 200 people. All those statements really aren't true. Um, Zawahiri was really a marginal player in the years before 9-11. Bin Laden really didn't clue him in about the 9-11 attacks at all, didn't seek his advice, just told him about the, the attacks were going to happen you know, in the summer of, 2010, uh, summer of 2001, which by which time the attacks were long planned. And, you know, Zawahiri was... Um, you know, often at Bin Laden's side uh, in terms of sort of publicity pictures, but he wasn't really the sort of brains of the operation that was certainly the, the big narrative after 9-11. And it was a narrative, by the way, that I also believe. But, you know, as I've interviewed, I mean, I've reported on this phenomenon for two and a half decades now fairly intensively and talked to lots of people in the CIA and the FBI, but also militants who knew both Bin Laden and Zawahiri. And it was really Bin Laden's idea to attack the United States. And Zawahiri was very focused on overthrowing uh, the Egyptian regime in his home country, uh, uh, something that bin Laden could care less about. And so the big strategic uh, shift that al-Qaeda made to attack the United States, to plan 9-11, was done almost without any input from Zawahiri at all. Um, and so kind of some, a lot of the things that, we have, that have been said, and President Biden has been at the forefront of this about Zawahiri, aren't really the case. And there's really no need to gild this particularly, particular lily. Zawahiri is undoubtedly a, not a, you know, a very bad guy, the leader of al-Qaeda for the past uh, decade plus. Uh, but he is not the sort of mastermind, the brains of al-Qaeda that has been presented in the years since 9-11, and in particular in President Biden's speech last night. So what did he bring to the table, and why did bin Laden always want him at his side? 
Um, you know, Zohir is a smart guy. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a surgeon. He comes from an upper-middle-class, uh, very distinguished Egyptian family. He bought, you know, when they were younger, Zawahiri was a, sort of somebody that uh, bin Laden really looked up to. He was somebody who spent three years in an Egyptian prison. He'd been involved in trying to assassinate uh, Sadat uh, on the fringes of that conspiracy. And so early on in their relationship, bin Laden sort of looked up to Zawahiri. But the, but the relationship switched. By the time we get to 1996 and bin Laden's living in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, beginning what would eventually become the 9-11 plot. At that point, Zawahiri was a penniless refugee with, you know, literally a handful of followers. And bin Laden needed him to sort of, for sort of public relations. He was an Egyptian, so when bin Laden uh, talked about founding a world Islamic front, you know, Zawahiri was good window dressing for that. And... You know, Bin Laden's deputy in the pre-9/11 era was somebody called Abu uh, Abu Hafs al-Masri, uh, and he was really the, the military commander of Al Qaeda. He was killed in a U.S. airstrike two months after the 9/11 attacks, and he was really the guy that Bin Laden relied upon. At that point, uh, he promoted Zawahiri to become his deputy. Um, so, you know, certainly he was the deputy uh, for a long time, then became the leader. Uh, but uh, you know, looking forward a bit here, Michael, we've got. Who, who's going to replace bin Laden? I think, you know, most I, I, most people who follow this, including myself, think there is a guy called Saif al-Adil who's been long living in Iran. He may have already gone to Afghanistan. Um, and he's a former Egyptian special forces officer. Uh, he uh, has been with al-Qaeda sort of since the beginning. He might actually be a more effective leader than Zawahiri, unfortunately. Uh, he certainly had long experience in al-Qaeda. He's well known to the Taliban. And you know, certainly, as we as we've got begun to know more about what happened uh, during the strike over the weekend, what's pretty striking is the extent to which senior leaders of Al Qaeda of, of the Taliban knew that Zawahiri was was in Kabul, according to U.S. government officials. Um, and you know, he was operating there fairly freely. He, he, according to the United Nations, he recorded at least eight videos between the time the Taliban took over and May of uh, this year when they released a report about Al Qaeda. Uh, so he felt very comfortable at the safe house. He was recording videos. This may have been part of the kind of composite of in, you know, intelligence information that led to him certainly trying to, you know, he made the mistake, uh, just like bin Laden, to some degree of kind of getting back in touch with his family. He, you know, he was taking more risks, uh, you know, because he felt very comfortable in Taliban control of Afghanistan. So it's, you know, it's great that, you know, that Zawahiri is no longer uh, you know, alive. Um, sadly, he's, he was a threatening figure, but he was an incompetent leader of al-Qaeda. He never carried out an attack on the United States in the time that, the, that he was leader of the group, nor on American interests in the region. And, you know, the next leader of al-Qaeda, and surely there will be one, it will be likely this guy, Saifel Adel, um, will have considerable latitude, I think, in Afghanistan over the next several years to kind of regroup uh, because the Taliban, you know, the, have a very sympathetic view of this of this group. I'm reading that he was hosted by the Haqqani Network. First of all, what is that? How does it fit with al-Qaeda? How does it fit with the Taliban? And what does this tell us about the United States' withdrawal of Afghanistan? Does it vindicate or vilify <laughs> Biden's withdrawal that he was found in Kabul? Well, you know, maybe both. Um, I mean, you know, the, on the, you know, clearly there was a lot of discussion about the you know, as the United States withdrew, could we do these so-called over-the-horizon operations you know, once we were no longer boots on the ground in Afghanistan? Clearly, this operation shows that we can. 
But on the other hand, you know, the Ukraine network, according to the United Nations, uh, Saraj Akhani, who's the acting minister of the interior in, in Afghanistan, is actually a part of the leadership group of al-Qaeda. So you can't get, you know, the idea that the Taliban were just going to break with al-Qaeda is a total nonsense. And we're about to come up to the first anniversary of the Taliban takeover on August the 15th. And there was a great deal of wishful thinking about the Taliban that they would, you know, break with al-Qaeda, that they would, um, you know, kind of... Uh, let women go to school, take take jobs, let girls go to school. All that wishful thinking is proven completely delusional. And I think this, this strike underlines the fact, as you say, that the Akhani network, which is really the kind of key part of the Taliban in terms of the military, in terms of the uh, security apparatus, uh, was harboring uh, Zawahiri, and uh, they have very close relations with al-Qaeda. Do you think if, if the drone technology a decade ago was what it is today that could have been a means of taking out bin laden that is a great question because you know a decade ago when i was reporting on this one of the options that was uh, eventually sort of discarded was using an experimental drone that had never been used in combat and no one would really tell me exactly what that drone was but there is a very small drone uh, a nine pound drone that uh, was being developed at the time um, they discarded that option because, you know, the drone attack did have some potential problems. One, it could miss bin Laden, spook him, he might go away. Two, you know, it might just, uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it had never been used in combat. So, you know, the, the White House is saying that two Hellfire missiles were used in the attack on Zawahiri. Now, Hellfire missiles are not small drones, but clearly in the last decade, the, um, the ability to do super precision strikes has increased because there have been uh, many drone strikes. Uh, so, you know, maybe that would have been an option that could have been considered uh, with Obama and, and in, in the operation against Osama bin Laden. It's worth noting also, Michael, that President Biden was opposed to the Navy SEAL operation in Pakistan, as you may recall, because he thought there were too many risks. The Pakistanis getting angry, the, you know, maybe a firefight between the Pakistanis and the U.S. Navy SEALs, maybe a firefight with al-Qaeda. So he was one of the cabinet members who was opposed to the bin Laden operation. Uh, obviously, he had a very different set of uh, considerations, and you know, he made the right call here. And uh, it's kind of, a, I mean, it is amazing that they didn't kill anybody in that house, that they you know, really carefully looked at the construction of the house and in an effort to not kill Zawahiri's uh, wife and and grandkids and daughter, who, after all, are non-combatants. So, you know, that that certainly shows that this technology is constantly being refined. Um, But I just do want to, you know, make sure that listeners understand that simply because assertions are made about Zawahiri, that he was behind 9-11, this kind of thing, all they need to do is read the 9-11 Commission report, and there's simply no evidence for that. Uh, the planning for the operation didn't include Zawahiri. He learned about it. He was simply informed about it after the fact. Listen, I, I respect your credentials and knowledge of the subject matter. That's why I wanted to have you here. I am nonetheless elated that he's gone because the indelible impression in my mind was bin Laden Zawahiri, bin Laden Zawahiri. And I was convinced we had taken our eye off of him. I'll be curious to know if we get the details of how we learned that he was in Kabul. 
Um, by the way, Peter, do you think that we, yeah. we, we ever find out like, – I have this impression of a, of a young man, maybe it's a young woman, some former American gamer – now in some warehouse military installation, I don't know, in Kansas, looking through a video monitor and sizing up Zawahiri miles and miles away. Do you think that's how it went down? Well, you know, I wouldn't say Kansas. I'd say Nevada. I mean, that, you know, there's Creech Air Force Base in Nevada is one of the key. There's also, I also would add, uh, there's a key U.S. military base in Qatar. Uh, which houses up to 10,000 American service men and women. That would be my bet because Qatar is, uh, you know, relatively close to Afghanistan compared to the United States. But I mean, we don't know. We may, we may likely not know, but certainly everything that has been said so far publicly indicates a drone strike. That would have been obviously would be a, a a a drone operator, a drone pilot operating remotely, whether it's in the Middle East somewhere like Qatar or whether it's in the United States. Uh, and they would have spent a long time, you know, these drone operators spent a long time with, uh, the, with the subject. I mean, you know, there's a pattern of life established. There is obviously there was this great care to make sure that there wasn't civilian casualties or including members of Zawahiri's own family. So that, that is, uh, I think what, what you are suggesting is, is, is basically how it, how it seemed to have gone down. We're still going to learn about the intelligence, as you say, that led to bin Laden. It's, I, it appears pretty clear that his desire to get back with his family uh, seems to have been a, an important part of that. I also think the fact that he's releasing multiple videos kind of uh, probably opened it up to additional scrutiny. The videos had to be filmed by somebody. They had to be uploaded somewhere on the Internet, which is you know, not, not exactly a super common phenomenon in, 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 in Kabul right now with very limited electricity and the economy basically in shambles. But, you know, certainly I think, you know, August 15th, the Taliban takeover, first anniversary will happen. And I think, you know, bin Laden, Biden will, have come, will come in for quite a lot of criticism of what happened. But this, I think, will inoculate against a lot of that criticism because it's A, will be relatively almost in the same frame from a time point, a time point of view. But also it, it does sort of suggest that the United States can do these over the horizon operations, which is really a big uh, kind of critique of uh, Biden's decision. I, a final thought. I love the trivia. I love the details. Like the idea that, that someone pulled that trigger at Creech in Nevada and then stopped at uh, Taco Bell on the way home and went to Walmart the following Saturday uh, is kind of <laughs> stunning. But by, by the way, Peter, it's also quite frightening because we Americans, I'll speak for myself, we love it when we have this technology and you can take out a bad guy, regardless of how much planning he put into September 11. But who's to say that technology someday in the not too distant future isn't turned on us? It's a scary new world when you can kill somebody with a drone like that and not harm the building or anybody in close proximity. Final thought? I agree. Look, drone, look at look at the Ukraine war. Drones are playing an incredibly yes. important part of that war. Right. Um, and you know these Turkish drones are, are uh, that the uh, that are widely dispersed. So yeah, I mean it, we're living in a brave new world, and you know um, the drone technology is proliferating very rapidly. Peter Bergen, can't thank you enough. And I know how in demand you are today. Best of wishes. Thank you, Michael. Okay, his, thank his, you. His most thank recent you. book is The Cost of Chaos, The Trump Administration and the World. And you heard what I heard, but I think he answered that the proper response to today's poll question is both. 
I asked, does the fact that Zawahiri was killed in Kabul vindicate or vilify Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan? He said probably both, that the -the over-the-horizon strategy can work. But as I pointed out, you know, the Haqqani Network was hosting Zawahiri. That's the presumption. So without boots on the ground, this is the sort of thing that, you know, the presence of a guy like this is going to occur. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Uh, Jay, greetings in Pennsylvania. Thinking what today? And thanks for the phone call. Yes, Michael, thinking that it's so wonderful for your audience that you could get such a great speaker the day after such important news who was so informative um, and interesting to listen to. But I was very disappointed to have him explained that our president made multiple false assertions about the importance of al-Zawahiri and that there was really no need to gild the lily, but he did. This is president of the United States. Why is he doing that? Yeah, I'm not sure what you expect me to say in response to that. I mean, Peter's the guy with the expertise, and his position was one of Zawahiri did not play the role on September 11, the coal or the embassy bombing that he's been cast as having played. I'm nonetheless thrilled that he's dead. Aren't you? Oh, for sure. I I just thought maybe um, a lot of callers or a lot of your audience would have a similar strong response to that idea that, hey, what we're being told about this guy by the president isn't really yeah, the I get truth. your point. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like that's a you're bummer. here. That's a real Listen, bummer. Okay. I feel like you're here to say, to kind of like rub it in, like, hey, Joe Biden, don't go taking too much credit because he wasn't that important. To which I would respond, the perception for those of us who paid close attention in the aftermath of September 11, like he was the Mike Pence. He was the Kamala Harris. He was the number two. He was the running mate. Now, operationally, maybe that wasn't the case. I'm thrilled he's dead nonetheless, so much so that I've never stopped speaking his name. Alan, greetings in New York City. Thinking what today? 
I I I don't believe that it vindicates uh, the president at all. I on the withdrawal visions of people on the withdrawal. I, I remember the people clinging on to that airplane uh, and the news in the days thereafter of all the people that were left behind. And I am certainly glad that they killed this terrorist. Uh, I'm confused as to why the uh, it's such a big deal that nobody else or nobody in his family uh, was injured in this attack uh, or the strike. I, I'm not even going to call it an attack because I don't think that uh, Al-Zawahari really gave a damn about anybody that he killed. How many people were on those planes? In the towers, at the Pentagon. I mean, I just don't get it. You don't get that that we sort of brag about the fact that we killed him and only him and not his family? Are you saying you'd rather we'd killed his family, too? Or am I misunderstanding? Oh, no, you are saying that. No, no. Yeah, no, I'm saying it clearly. All that does, all that does, I I don't know how many children he has. You know, that's just, you just... Yeah, I don't if agree with that. Boys, if I, I don't know, I don't know his I don't know his domestic situation. But if he if he had a wife who was an enabler, she was keeping him out of harm's way, and we killed her too. I'm fine with that, but I'm not fine with killing any of his kids. What did they do? Call me on this. I'm at eight five five four eight six seventeen seventy six. Is this how big a win is this for the president? This plus the chip plus the climate is it a turning point? We went over the data as recently as yesterday, Gallup documenting the least popular president since Gallup has been doing surveys since the Eisenhower years. And how about the survey question today? Is it, you know, is it is it validation or is it criticism of the policy of withdrawing from Afghanistan? I'm thrilled we're out. I'm sorry that we lost lives on the way out the door. I often wonder how many would have died had we stayed is my view. Jeff Greenfield says in the uh, in a in a Politico piece today, the troubling question, of course, is are the Taliban rulers of Afghanistan once again providing safe haven to terrorists? And he points out that Michael Morell, the former acting CIA director, told CBS on Monday, it's really hard for me to believe that Zawahiri was in Kabul without the knowledge of at least some of the Taliban leadership. This appears to render inoperative the Taliban's promise that it would not harbor terrorists as it reclaimed control over the nation. Go back 21 years to the days after September 11, and you will remember that President George W. Bush demanded of Afghanistan that it turn over bin Laden and other al-Qaeda leaders. When it did not, the U.S. launched the invasion that swiftly ended Taliban rule and became the first chapter of a two-decade trillion-dollar campaign that ended last year in chaos. If the Taliban have opened their country to a key figure in the attacks of 9-11, what does it tell us about who else is being welcomed there? That's Jeff Greenfield. Also at Smirconish.com today, I recommend Graham Wood's piece from The Atlantic. Graham Wood, who was just here within the last two weeks talking about MBS and the interviews that he did with Jeffrey Goldberg with MBS. So he's got the he's got the chops from an international security standpoint, he says, okay, he's dead, we're thrilled he's dead, but he was already irrelevant. The truth is that Zawahiri's killing probably will not have much effect on global terror because the younger jihadists' generation already ceased to regard him as the leader. 
Many of the possible successors to Zawahiri already split off into other jihadist groups and have long been trying to bring about carnage and a terrestrial paradise without al-Qaeda's consent. Make sure you're voting on today's survey question at smirkanish.com. Does the fact that Zawahiri was killed in Kabul vindicate or vilify Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan? Kyle, you're in Missouri. Greetings. What are you thinking today about Zawahiri? Uh, I'm not thinking anything. He's gone, and that's a good thing. Uh, but the bottom line is, once I listened to the president, and I loved your interview with that guy. That that was Peter a great interview. Yeah, he is he is spot on of his little bit of criticism, but also his uh, saying, you know, yeah, he you know might go both ways. After watching the president's speech, I literally got up. My wife sitting next to me. I went out to my garage, opened up my old Footlocker pulled out the Iraq playing cards that we had overseas. Yeah. And I went okay. through them. And it was right? a deck of cards, and yep. it had the top of the top of who we were looking for. He wasn't even in that deck of cards. So was, that tells me that Burden wait a minute. Wait, was wait, wait, right, but, but this but guy you're was in, not a mastermind of 9-11. But wait a minute. Your, yeah. your, yours were Iraq yeah. playing cards. Was bin Laden on Iraq playing cards? I would think that he would be on Afghanistan playing uh, cards. If he, no, if you went into that theater, you got those playing cards. Those were the ones where I was, or if you went to Afghanistan, you, you got a deck of playing cards. And a lot of a lot of soldiers got them, maybe not everybody, but I had a deck of both theaters of war. And he was not in any of those deck of cards, or pl- those playing cards, which you know as well as I do, playing cards are sure. highest to lowest. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't mad. I'm just like, wait, whoever wrote his speech uh, had had no idea of who this guy was. In other words, you know, who were the masterminds, who were behind it? They just wrote it to fluff it up or whatever. I'm glad he's dead. Um, my other conflict was when, and again, I know you hate whataboutisms, but please bear with me. You got to make it fast because um, I'm trying to squeeze in okay, a lot of callers. Just hustle. When Trump was... When Trump was criticized for killing Soleimani, and I was in Iraq when he got killed, that guy was planning a lot of attacks out of Iran into Iraq against U.S. troops. And he got so, lambasted yeah. by well, the media so, over that. Wait a minute. We're thrilled he's dead, too. We're thrilled all these guys oh, are dead. But let, let, us, let us not forget Zawahiri published a manifesto. I'm, and, and thank you, uh, Kyle. Appreciate it. 1998, listen to his words, to kill Americans and their allies, civilian and military, is an individual duty for every Muslim who can do it in every country in which it is possible to do it. Let us also not forget this. I went today on Smirconish.com, had a lot of choices in terms of whose coverage I would publish to tell the story of the takedown of Zawahiri. Joby Warwick from the Washington Post, wrote their analysis of who was this guy. And I, I wanted to go with him because Joby also wrote Triple Agent. Do we all remember what happened December 30, 2009, when there were seven CIA officers who were killed in, I think they called it Forward Post or Operational Base Coast, K-H-O-S-T in Afghanistan? And you're saying, what does that have to do with Zawahiri? What it has to do with Zawahiri, the day that seven CIA officers were killed when a guy had an explosive device, is we had, we, the CIA, the government, the Americans, had dropped our guard 
so thirsty for information then about bin Laden and Zawahiri. And there was a guy and he ended up being not a double agent, but a triple agent, hence the title of the book that we thought was going to take us to Zawahiri. And we allowed him onto this base without the typical clearance at checkpoints as a sign of respect. And he ended up being wired with an explosive device and killed a lot of Americans. That is direct. I mean, I put the blood of, I put the blood of those individuals at the feet of Ayman al-Zawahiri as well. The ripple effects of this guy were significant, is what I'm trying to say. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.